looking at the life of Samson. If you need a Bible, Pastor Jim has some extra Bibles. He'll hand it to you. We want you to follow along. We're going to cover two chapters here in the book of Judges. Wednesday nights we have been in the book of Judges. And uh, we'll continue till we're done with this one. Well, this, it's a good book for different reasons. And it's a difficult book to look at, but necessary as God is proclaiming to us. Uh, the days of the judges in his word as we see what is taking place in this dark time in the history of Israel. So chapter 15, if you'll turn there, I do have a couple quick announcements. I want to remind you that on Friday, uh, this Friday, we do have uh, Dr. Song who is going to be here at 4 o'clock and we're going to be sorting out some medical supplies uh, that are going to be used for China uh, when he goes there next month to do some surgery at the hospital that they are treating uh, those patients that have leprosy. And so um, it would be a tremendous blessing if you can come by for an hour, two hours, to help sort out that medical supplies. If we get enough people, a dozen people or so, we should be done in a couple hours. And, and so that's going to be this Friday, 4 o'clock, and we'll be here at the church. If you can join us for that, um, that will be very much of a help as we desire to get that medicine that's being uh, donated to us uh, shipped off to China uh, in time for when Dr. Song gets there and begins to do some surgery there. So this Friday, 4 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Don't forget on Saturday that we have the all-church picnic at the residence of the Banowitz out there. As you go east on Highway 34, take a right on Road County Road 49. Go four miles, three miles. Three miles. You'll see it on the left-hand side, uh, the Banowitz residence. There are maps to their home uh, at the information desk. There are addresses here in the bulletin, so make sure that you uh, take a look at that. Highway 34 to um, County Road 49, right before you get to Kersey. Take a right, head south for three miles, and you'll see them on the east side of the road, on the left-hand side of the road. Easy to find. Big Barn is where we're going to be out there. Bring a dish to share. We'll provide all the meat and, uh, and the drinks as well. So if you can, come and join us. It's a great way for you to get to know new people, to have fellowship as we share a meal together. And uh, that's at 5 o'clock, if I haven't said that already. Also, remember, ladies, um, that we are going to begin uh, the ladies' study in September, and that is on the 16th. And so if you're interested in that, ladies, that Thursday morning Bible study led by Sandy Sanders, sign up for that at the information desk. And uh, also, if anyone has it laid on their hearts to help with child care on Thursday morning, please let me know about that as well. Sunday morning, we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 8.30, 10.30 services. So invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel. We're going to continue in chapter 15, looking at the resurrection. And uh, we've already looked at how Paul's made the case there concerning Christ's resurrection and uh, the eyewitnesses that saw the resurrected Lord. And so he then ties it in with our resurrection. And because Jesus Christ indeed rose from the grave, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as Peter would write in his epistle. But we have that promise of the resurrection for those who believe. So we're going to continue looking at uh, that doctrine of the resurrection. Very important for us to understand it. Also, what we will be doing on Sunday mornings is uh, we won't quite finish chapter 15. And then the following week, we'll, uh, we'll be in chapter 15 in finishing it. And then um, going into chapter 16, and then um, we will finish chapter 16 in 
two weeks from Sunday. After that, on Sunday mornings, uh, we are going to be in the book of Daniel. So we'll finish 1 Corinthians in three weeks, including this Sunday. And, um, and then we're going to be in, in the book of Daniel on Sunday mornings in the Old Testament book. Uh, that is an incredible book um, as we go through it. Very practical, very prophetic. And so um, we're looking forward to that. So lots to look forward to as we head into fall. But tonight we do have a Bible study in the book of Judges. And Father, we do pray that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. I pray that you would just uh, help us to be attentive to the things that you want to say to us. And um, Lord, we look forward to finishing looking at the life of Samson, a man that was used mildly, but a man that also was driven by his fleshly desires. And so may we make application and take heed tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And of course, the, the days of the judges would cover that period in Israel's history from the time of the death of Joshua. The next generation after Joshua would rebel against the Lord. And so from that time, clear up until the time that we read about in First Samuel, that the people came to Samuel and said, we want a king. That was the days of the judges, and it lasted at about a period of 400 years. And during that time, as we've seen very clearly going through this book, we have seen that it was a time that was very difficult in um, the nation of Israel. After God had given them the land, they conquered the land, but yet they would enter into a period where they're in this cycle of disobedience to the Lord. They turned away from the Lord. They began to worship those idols of the Canaanites. They, they did what God told them not to do. And God, he gave his covenant to them and said, if you forsake me, then you're going to find yourself in bondage and in captivity. And that's what happened, just as God's word said would happen, that they would find themselves indeed in bondage to the enemies that were around them. So here they are in bondage because they had forsaken the Lord. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they would eventually cry out to the Lord, give up those idols. And then God, out of his mercy and grace, would raise up a judge to deliver them. And as we've been looking at these different judges that have been listed here, and, and it's been quite fascinating to look at their stories like Deborah and Barak and then Gideon and then the others, Jephthah, that we looked at. And now we're looking at Samson. The judges that we have looked at, they were ones that would gather the army and go to battle against the enemy, and God would give them victory. Well, as we look at the life of Samson, and it's interesting because in this book, Samson is the last of the judges that's going to be mentioned in this book. We're going to see that um, it will tell of his story as we covered uh, chapter 13 and 14 last week, and then as we finish chapters 15 and 16 this week, it covers Samson's uh, birth all the way to his death, the story of Samson, which is very familiar to most of us that are in this room. Matter of fact, Samson is an individual that is known by non-believers as well because of his great strength that the Bible talks about and then also his relationship that we will see in chapter 16 with Delilah. And so Samson, his story told to us, the last of the judges that is mentioned to us here in the book of Judges, he's unique in that, that he doesn't gather an army to go to battle against the enemies. In this case, it's the Philistines that had the children of Israel in bondage. Samson is a one-man wrecking machine. 
And with his great strength, he's going to go uh, to battle against the Philistines as the Spirit of God comes upon him, giving him that great strength. What we will see in chapters 17 through 21 that we will begin next week is those final chapters are kind of an addendum, if you would, of telling us of the moral and spiritual condition of the children of Israel during this time of the judges. And it's really some dark chapters in showing us the depravity and moral decay and spiritual decay that took place in the land during the days of the judges. And so we see that Samson here as... The Philistines have uh, put the children of Israel in bondage at this time in their history. Uh, Samson was one that was from the tribe of Dan. And you recall that as we went through the book of uh, Joshua, that when Joshua conquered the land and then he divided it up, given each of the 12 tribes their allotments or their inheritance, it was the tribe of Dan that had that area of land that they settled in west of Jerusalem all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea. And that was along the coast there, the area where the Philistines would settle as well. And the Philistines growing in strength, and there are five major cities of the Philistines that are mentioned in the Old Testament. We're going to see one of them mentioned, actually two of them mentioned here in our text tonight. Gaza and Ascalon, there's uh, Ekron, there's a couple others that are mentioned that were major cities of the Philistines. And as they were growing in strength, and as they had the children of Israel in bondage, it was a tribe of Dan that always was, seems like, at war or in bondage to the Philistines. And what we're going to see later on in the book of Judges is that tribe, the tribe of Dan, is actually going to pack up from there, and they're going to move up north where uh, they're going to settle there at the base of Mount Hermon. But we see that at this time that here is the parents of Samson that didn't have any children, as we saw chapter 13. And it was the Lord that appeared to Samson's mother. Her name's not given to us. But she was told that you're going to bear a son. His name is going to be Samson. And he's going to take a Nazarite vow. Matter of fact, he was to take that Nazarite vow from his mother's womb. And so as we discussed, the Nazarite vow was a vow of dedication to the Lord according to Numbers chapter 6. And in that vow, they were not to cut their hair. Uh, the taking of the Nazarite vow, the individual, uh, they were not to eat anything unclean, and they were not to touch anything unclean, that is, such as a dead animal or dead body. Um, they were not to take of any wine, drink of anything unclean. So those were the, the um, guidelines in, in given to those who had taken the Nazarite vow. But what it was is they were not to eat anything unclean or touch anything unclean or drink anything unclean. That it, what it was, it was supposed to be an outward expression of an inward commitment to the Lord. And what we have seen, that even though Samson was called to be a, one that was a Nazarite and to take that vow, outwardly, perhaps for a while, he kept that. And we saw last week in chapters 13 and 14, as particularly we went into chapter 14, he began to compromise that vow, didn't he? But his heart, we see, was a heart that was full of carnality and compromise. And he is dictated by the desires of his flesh. First of all, we saw in chapter 14 that he goes to Timnah. And there in the area of the Philistines, you know, Samson, he's going over there. It's over by the beach, you know, the Mediterranean Sea. And he's over there hanging out in the cities of uh, the Philistines. And he's there and the young ladies are there. And he sees a young lady that he desires to marry. So he comes to his parents 
And he says, I want that woman of Timnah. I want to marry her. And of course, the law has stated very clearly that the children of Israel were not to intermarry with those who were not of the children of Israel. So he's compromising in, in that way. He's walking through the vineyards. And in his Nazarite vow, he wasn't even supposed to touch grapes or drink wine. And so he's in the vineyards there. And as he's in the vineyards, of course, a lion jumps on him. The Spirit of God comes on him. He kills the lion. But it would be eventually later that he comes to check out the carcass of the lion. And there in the carcass was a hive of bees that made some honey. And he reaches in there and he grabs it. Another compromise is he's touching a dead carcass. And then he hosts a party for 30 of the uh, companions of the Philistines, probably a bachelor party of some sort that was taking place. And it's Samson that's there. Surely, probably, wine's flowing at that party. So you see this continued compromise with Samson in his life. And even though he's compromising, God at this point is still using him in spite of him. And so Samson, with those 30 companions, where we ended last week in chapter 14, is he posed the riddle to them concerning the, the lion that he had killed and the beehive that was there in the carcass of the lion. And he said, if you 30 guys can figure this riddle out, then I will get you 30 change of clothes. And I guess that was a big deal back then to do that. But if you can't, then you need to give me 30 change of clothes. And so it was those 30 Philistines that went to his wife or his bride-to-be, threatened her and said that if you do not tell us the answer to this riddle that Samson has told us, then we're going to burn you up and burn your father up and burn your house down. So they threatened her. So she told the 30 guys the answer to the riddle. They came back. They solved it as we saw that um, they would uh, give the answer to um, Samson, and then it would be Samson that would go down to Ascalon, one of the cities of the Philistines, ends up killing 30 Philistines, takes their change of clothes, and gives it to the 30 guys. While that is going on, it is his father-in-law that gives his wife away to another. So that's where we pick it up in chapter 15. As we read in chapter 15, after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Ladies, it's like bringing flowers. I mean, 3,500 years ago, to bring a young goat to a young lady, that was a big deal back then. So he brings his young goat, and he said, let me go into my wife, into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harden them. So he goes back to see his wife after the dust settles concerning him taking and, and killing those 30 Philistines. And, and he brings a young goat to her and he finds out that his wife has been given to another. And he isn't happy about it, is he? So he's angry with his father-in-law. And we see that he says here that this time, when I take vengeance out on the Philistines, that I'll be blameless for it. But you see, here's the, the problem. That Samson, he continues to make bad choices, doesn't he? And that's really the root of the problem here. Now, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 tells us that you are to guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. 
And we know that Samson, as we have seen so far and will continue to see, that his heart really wasn't devoted to the things of the Lord. He saw that woman of Timnah that he wanted. She was beautiful in his eyes. But Samson was not concerned about what was beautiful in the eyes of the Lord, what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. And what my prayer is for all of us that are here tonight is that, Lord, that I would see the things the way that you see them, that you would open up my spiritual eyes, that the things that are beautiful and good and wonderful in your eyes, that I would see that as well. But you see, what happens is oftentimes we get pulled into things by the lust of the eyes, as John talks about in his epistle. So he sees that woman. He continues to make bad choices. He's continuing to hang it out in the enemy's territory. He continues to compromise. And he's not really getting to the root of the problem. And that is that you are going through hurt and you're going through disappointment, Samson, because you're making bad choices. So here he says, man, I'm going to get my revenge. And so verse 4, he went and caught 300 foxes and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each of their tails. Now, can you imagine, again, just his, his strength and his uh, ability, his quickness, as the Spirit of God came upon him to catch 300 foxes? We have foxes in this area in Greeley, don't we? And I think that most of us have seen foxes. I know we have foxes in our area where we live. And to catch 300 foxes? I mean, I don't think I could catch one fox. Matter of fact, last spring, there was a fox that was hanging around the church here that had a limp. And it was always showing himself, and the kids would see it. And, and I remember one time we went over to Johnny Carino's over there, and there's that fox with the limp, you know, in the parking lot. But I don't think I could even catch him, the one that had a limp. So here is Samson that has 300 foxes that he catches. He ties them tail to tail. Well, what's he going to do with them? Well, he had set the torches on fire and let the foxes go in the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grains as well as the vineyards and olive groves. So as he sets the foxes on fire and they go running through the torches on fire, then they go through the grain fields and they burn these grain fields down. And this is at the time of the harvest is what the implication here is told to us. And it would be very devastating to the Philistines, burning up their harvest uh, of the grain, burning down their vineyards, their orchards that are there. And so verse 6, the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answer, Samson, the son-of-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Now, not very nice guys, are they? You remember, as I mentioned to you in chapter 14, that when these 30 guys came and threatened, you know, Samson's wife and her father and said, we're going to burn your house down, we're going to burn you guys unless you give, give, give us the answer to that riddle that Samson posed to us. And they would. She was fearful. She was scared for her life, obviously, and, and gave the answer. But you know what? They end up burning her and her father and their house anyway. And here's the thing that you and I need to remember, that the enemy will try to put fear into you. And he will come along and he will try to, to get you to compromise or get involved in sin. And, and he will say, you know, these things to you as he accuses you. He's the accuser of the brethren trying to get you to be afraid, trying to get you to back down. 
And, and so we compromise because of that fear that is in us. But I'll tell you what, the enemy is going to burn you anyway. And the one that we need to turn to is the Lord. And to turn to Him and trust in Him. And let Him be our rescuer. Let Him be our strength and our refuge. And let Him be our pavilion that we find safety in. But the enemy, he's going to come along and he's going to do anything he can to hurl his threats or make you scared or whatever it might be. But the ultimate ending of what the enemy wants to do is to burn you and I anyway. To try to bring us down and to do us in. So don't give in to him. So here, unfortunately, we see that Samson's wife is, is burned and her father with fire by the Philistines. So Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. In verse 8, So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cliff of the rock at Etam. And so we see here Samson retaliates, going to take revenge against the Philistines. He attacks them hip and thigh, which is an expression for an unsparing slaughter that he does. He's a one-man army against the Philistines. So after that slaughter, he goes and he rests at the, the rock and the cliff there of the rock at Etam. And so verse 9, the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the man of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. And then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cliff of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know what the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And so he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. So we see here that here's the tribe of Judah. Of course, the tribe of Judah, they have that land next to Dan. And the largest area of land was belonging to Judah in the southern part of the nation. And so here are the Philistines that are ruling against them, come up against them with their army, and, and Judah saying, why are you doing this? And because Samson, because he's burned our fields. So they go to Samson and said, why have you done this? The Philistines rule over us. In verse 12, but they said to him, we have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Isn't this interesting that here is the brethren of Samson that hand him over to the enemy. And again, what are they being ruled by? They're being ruled by fear. And it would be fear that would cause them to be content with spiritual compromise. That is, that the, the tribe of Judah, the house of Judah, they were very content to just stay where they were, even though the enemy ruled over them, even though the enemy had an upper hand on them, even though they had the promises of God, that God said that I will deliver you from your enemies if you just trust in me and turn to me. But they were very content, and they had such a fear of the Philistines that they hand their brother over, their leader over, to the Philistines. And again, it's because of that contentment. Listen, folks, we can get into a mindset if we are not careful. I don't want to rock the boat here when it comes to my job. Because I fear my boss, even though maybe he wants me to fudge the numbers or be dishonest in my practices. Everything's cool. Everything's good. I'm just kind of content. I, I need this job. 
And I'm just going to kind of give in to him. Or maybe it's with relationships. Oh, I'm dating this unbeliever, and I know the Bible says that we're not to be yoked with unbelievers, but you know what? Everything's good. And they're so nice to me. And I don't want to upset them, so I'm just content because you have a fear that, you know what, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, a fear of breaking up with them, even though you know that you're in a place where God would say that there's compromise, that you shouldn't be here. Parents, maybe with your children, where you say, I don't want to rock the boat with my kids and upset them. And maybe they're involved in some activities or hanging out with some that you know that, that it isn't good. But I don't want to upset them. I don't want to, to have the house blow up or whatever. I just want to keep the peace in the house. And so you won't make a stand for what is right. And I pray for you and for me again that the Lord says that he hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind that we would know that the Lord is on our side, that as we make a stand for him, that we wouldn't be ones that we're just content with spiritual compromise. I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to change this situation because I'm afraid of what it might bring. But we would trust in the Lord and not have that spirit of fear, but in confidence in him and have power, the power of the Lord working in our lives to be able to stand fast in him and on his promises and to walk with him. And of sound mind, that is, that Lord, help me to make some good choices and decisions when it comes to my family, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to my job or my business, that there isn't going to be compromise. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to allow this in my house, but I'm going to stand for you. And Lord, I'm going to let you take care of those things. And so, verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. Now, of course, we know this is one of the reasons why even non-Christians know the story of Samson, the, the man the Bible talks about that killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Again, the Spirit of God coming upon Samson, giving him that, that supernatural strength and ability to be able to fight against the Philistines. You know, when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he's talking about you know, the Spirit of God in us and His prayer for us. And, and he concludes that prayer by saying that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly there in Ephesians chapter 3. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What is that power? The power of the Holy Spirit. And as we are ones that we have a life that is yielded to the Lord, not compromising, and given in to the fear of the enemy, you know what you're going to find? That the power of God working in you, that he is going to be able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That is a promise that each one of us here tonight, that we can say amen to, that we can say yes, Lord, that you desire to work in me mightily, 
the Holy Spirit in me, the Holy Spirit working through me and empowering me to live a life that is pleasing to you, Lord, and using me in a way that I never thought was possible. So just living for the Lord. And we can look at this and we think, well, Samson's doing pretty good so far. You know, here he, he's demonstrating great power, k- kills a lion, he's, he's defeating the enemy, the, the Philistines. But you see, I believe that the Lord would have used Samson so much more if Samson didn't have continued compromise and sin that was in his life. So here is Samson. He, he kills a thousand men in verse 17. So it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramath-Lehi. And then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by my hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and they revived. Therefore he called its name in Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. Ramoth Heli means jawbone hill. Samson prayed twice in these four chapters that we see. Here at the end of chapter 15, we're going to see at the end of chapter 16. And hereafter, of course, they would defeat those thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He would be exhausted physically. He's thirsty. He's laying there. He, he's about ready to die physically because he expended so much energy. He cries out to the Lord and said, Lord, don't let me fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. I find that kind of interesting. When, where has he been the whole time? down there in the towns of the the Philistines. But he cries out to the Lord in this way. The next time we're going to see him is right before his death. Too bad Samson wasn't praying to the Lord before these times of crisis. You know, I'm very thankful that when we do reach times of crisis or difficulties or tough circumstances, that we can cry out to the Lord, can't we? Praise God for that. I am so thankful for God's mercy and his goodness and his love and his compassion and his tender kindness towards us that when we face difficult times, when we find ourselves to be thirsty, Jesus said, come to me. Come to me all who thirst and drink of me. And if you're thirsty here tonight, maybe you're facing difficult times and challenges, or maybe you just feel dry spiritually. Jesus also would say up in the Galilee region, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's an invitation for us to come to him when we feel tired, when we're thirsty, when we need to be revived. And the Lord is the source of that refreshment and strength and being revived in our hearts and in our souls. That's why he says, come to me. But the other thing that I want to pass along to us is I pray that we wouldn't just be crisis Christians. That is, that we're only praying to the Lord when we find ourselves in a crisis. Again, I'm thankful that we can. But it would be a daily consistent thing of looking to the Lord, praying to the Lord, looking to his word, looking for his wisdom, seeking his wisdom, desiring to walk in his ways, desiring to please the Lord. And each and every day that we're crying out to the Lord, talking to the Lord, that, that we pray to him consistently and constantly and daily, not just when we're in a crisis. 
And Samson was one that I see two prayers that he gives to the Lord is when he was in a deep crisis. And thankful that he can do that and we can do that as we learn from the scriptures. But I also know that we need to be ones that we are praying constantly to the Lord during the times of crisis, but also during the times of rest in our lives. So he judged Israel 20 years, and then chapter 16, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight, and he rose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on the shoulders his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So here's Samson. He goes down to Gaza, which is deeper in the enemy's territory. Gaza is that area clear down by the border of Egypt. And he's going deeper into sin because now he's entered into a harlot. And you know what? There are some people that they will think, if I'm living in a life that is compromised, I'll just go a little bit deeper because nothing's happening to me. You know, nothing's going wrong. Everything's good. Everything's cool. God's still using me. I still shoot up a few prayers once in a while. And don't ever get lulled into that sleep, which Samson is going to here in just a few verses when we are introduced to Delilah. But what we need to be careful of is we don't think that that if I am involved in a compromised life or in sin, that God is just going to overlook it, or he doesn't care about it, or he might even approve of it. That's a mistake that some Christians have made. And eventually what it's going to do, it's going to do you in. And that's what we're going to see happens here to this man, Samson, that his continued compromise and sin is going to end up doing him in. And don't think that just because nothing now is happening that God approves of it or God is overlooking it or, you know, that he doesn't care. And here is Samson getting deeper into sin. God's still using him in spite of him. So these guys are, are laying low and, and um, wanting to jump out on him and he gets up at midnight. It's interesting, verse 3. He takes the door of the gate of the cities and he puts them on his shoulders, and he carries them top of the hill that faces Hebron. In other words, he goes from Gaza over to the hill that faces Hebron. Hebron is south and east of Jerusalem. So he carried this post and gate for about 30 miles, it is believed. Now you're talking Superman strength here. So that's what he does. In verse 4 afterwards, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So now we're introduced to Delilah. Her name means brought very low. And what she's going to do, she's going to bring Samson down very low, isn't she? And so verse 5, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money that they're offering to her. So she's offered this money to find out where his great strength lies as he lies with her and as he is living a lie. As he's living a lie. I pray that none of us here tonight are living a lie. 
They were involved in sin, compromising in sin. And we're just kind of lying to ourselves and we're living a lie. The Lord's been trying to convict you. You've been pushing it out. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what will happen is if you are living a lie and if you are following after a lie, then you're going to see the end result of it is what's going to happen to Samson that we're going to get to in here in just a little bit. And so here she's offered this money. So verse 6, Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to after, uh, to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought her up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. How do you have a bunch of men in a room? And Anyway, so she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. And then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me, what you may be bound with. And so he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Now, I don't know if Samson is just stupid or what. (laughs) But really, I don't think he is. I think he's playing games. I think he's playing her. He thinks he's going to get away with it. I mean, how can he get tied up with, you know, fresh bowstrings? And then she again asks him, and, well, just tie me up with new ropes. I think he's playing games with her and just going along with it. Because I don't think he was really that dumb. But he's being very foolish is what he's doing. And I have seen people that continue in playing the fool because they want to play games. They think, I can play along with this. I can play along with this relationship that isn't right. That's what Samson's doing. I can play along with this, what I'm practicing or what I'm taking in. who I'm hanging out with. I'll play along with it for a while. And they end up playing games. And that's what Samson is doing here. So we see in in verse 12, therefore Delilah, well, verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, after he broke off the, the new ropes that had him bound, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me, what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of a loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. And then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And so she keeps pressing him. She she's, keeps doing this. And you know what? Here's the thing. Samson, again, 
playing along with it, but I also believe that he had self-confidence. He had so much self-confidence that we're going to see that he's going to go out like he did all before, thinking everything was going to be okay. I got this super strength. Everything's going to be okay. But his confidence wasn't in the Lord. His confidence was in himself. And we need to be so careful of that. We need to be careful of that, those of us who are in ministry. That we don't start to becoming confident in ourselves and our own abilities and what God is doing with us in our lives. Because self-confidence will lead to being deceived. And it will lead to your fall. So Samson playing games, continuing in sin, compromised state, self-confidence, all these things are playing a role to his downfall. So it came to pass that she pestered him, verse 16, daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so he gives in. He gives in and he tells her. But you know that his strength wasn't in his hair. His strength was in the Lord. Amen. His strength was in his vow and dedication and commitment to the Lord. And you see, any time that we have a heart that says, Lord, I'm committed to you and surrender to you, that's where we're going to be strong. That's where our strength is going to be. Because out of the heart, what, as I mentioned to you in Proverbs, flows the issues of life. O Israel, that you would have a heart for me, is what the Lord said in the book of Deuteronomy, to keep my commandments. And you see, when we have a heart for the Lord, we're going to be strong towards the Lord and walking with the Lord because we love him. But here it says that his heart was given to her, and it wasn't given to the Lord. So when Delilah, verse 18, saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lord of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. And she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. He was lulled to sleep. Isn't it amazing how many times, you guys know this, I've taught on it and reminded you of it a thousand times, and I'm going to continue. How many times in the New Testament we're told to watch, to be sober, to be vigilant. Don't go to sleep spiritually. Don't go to sleep because you're children of the day, not of the darkness. And so we are told as Christians all throughout the New Testament, you be watchful. You be watchful. Now, in 1 Corinthians, as I mentioned to you, that we're going to finish in a few weeks. We'll finish chapter 15, or almost finish it this week, and then we'll conclude it, go into chapter 16. We'll look at giving. And then what we're going to conclude with on Labor Day weekend, you don't want to miss it, is after Paul's written 16 chapters to this church that needed correction, that really had problems, that was carnal and divided and full of self-confidence themselves and self-indulgence and didn't care about their brethren and full of pride, all these things that we discussed with the church of Corinth, he's going to give them five exhortations, five 
things that he says to them, these, these final exhortations and instructions that he gives to that church, they become my life verse. And he says, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Number four, be strong. Number five, all that you do, do with love. We're going to talk about those things in a couple of weeks. You guys be watchful spiritually. Be sober, be vigilant. You keep your eyes on the Lord, watch Him. And you watch out for the enemy that wants to come against you. Don't be lulled to sleep because a lot of Christians, I believe, are in the day in which we're living in. And I think that we're living in such incredible days for us to be in Christian. I think they're very difficult days that might come our way. But they're also very exciting days as well to be ministering and being a witness to a very dark world. I think we're getting ever so closer to the return of the Lord. That's why the Lord has put it on my heart that we're going to go through the book of Daniel on Sunday morning because it's the most amazing prophetic book in all of the Bible. And for you to understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand the book of Daniel. For you to understand end-time prophecy, you have to understand the book of Daniel. It is the foundation, the forerunner. It is the great understanding that we have in the book of Daniel that helps us understand the things that are going to take place in their time, in the last days. And I believe we are ever so close to the Lord coming back at any time. So don't go to sleep. Don't get lazy spiritually. Don't let the Delilahs of the world, whatever that might mean for you or for me, just lull you to sleep and zap you of your strength. So this is what happens. And in verse 20, I think it's one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. So she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Hey, I'll just go out and shake myself free as before. Everything else has been good, cool. Everything's worked out. I'll just do it as I always did. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The scripture says, Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. So if you sow seeds to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. If you sow seeds to the Spirit and to everlasting life, you're going to reap a good harvest. You will reap a harvest unto everlasting life. That's a promise. So for you that you're sowing good seeds, and maybe you're wondering, is the harvest ever going to come up? It will come up. Good things will happen. God will bless But if you are sowing seeds to the flesh, you're going to have a harvest that will be a corruption to the flesh and you will end up being devastated and brought down and experience serious consequences. The decisions and things that you do today, there will be a harvest tomorrow. God says, don't be deceived. It will happen. None of us are exempt from that. If you're involved in sin, compromising, if you are headed down the road, continuing in sin, there will be a harvest And we are going to see what happens when we do that. As we see, they took him. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him in bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. I'll tell you what will happen. You'll sow 
seeds of the flesh of the flesh you're going to reap corruption you're going to end up being blinded you're going to end up being bound up you're going to end up being a grinder ground under that's what sin does it will blind you you continue in sin and samson was blinded he was playing games he had self-reliance but spiritually he was blinded and he ended up going to sleep and continuing in sin will also bind you up. It will bind you up. You'll be captive to it. And it will grind you under. And here he is. He's in prison down in Gaza. And he's, he's grinding in the prison there. His eyes plucked out, all bound up. Because Samson continued in a compromised life. He continued in sin. So, verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the Lord of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their gods, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened that when their hearts were married, they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. So here they're going to use him to perform. They're mocking him, and you see that's what the enemy will do. The enemy will trick you, and he'll bring you down, and then when you fall and you're bound up and you're blind and all of this stuff, then he's going to mock you. That's what he does. He will mock you. While you're down. You see, Satan's not very nice. And he's going to deceive you and trick you and tempt you and do everything he can to get you off course. And then when you experience the consequences of that sin, then what he's going to do is he's going to mock you. And that's what they're doing to Samson. So verse 26, Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines about, were there, about 3,000 men and women, on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray, strengthen me. I pray just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and braced himself against them one on his right and the other on his left and samson said let me die with the philistines and he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in all his life and his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between zorah and estagal in the tomb of his father manoah which he had he had judged Israel 20 years. So Samson prays. As we know the story, he pushes on the pillars. The temple collapses. Many Philistines are killed as well as Samson himself in his final act there. You know, a life used of the Lord, but a life wasted as well because he was led and controlled by his flesh and his fleshly desires. Kind of a sad story. I think what this chapter shows us is a couple things that I haven't mentioned here, but I think it's worth mentioning as we close tonight. And that is, when you're involved in sin, when you're involved in compromise, number one, remember this, you become vulnerable. You become very vulnerable to serious hurt and harm. 
and distress, all kinds of trouble. That's what we have seen in Samson's life, haven't we? Second of all, know this, that temptation comes in beautiful packages. When the enemy, when the world brings temptation to you, it doesn't bring you all the ugliness that eventually it will bring. You see, Satan is going to say, look at this, isn't this nice? This pleasure, this thing, this relationship, whatever it might be. Look how beautiful it is. But over time, what you're going to see is the ugliness of it. You see, Satan says to you at first, I want to bring pleasure to you, but that pleasure will go away. And so... The ugliness of the situation, the consequences of the situation will show itself eventually. Thirdly, temptation comes when we keep and hang around the wrong company. What we're going to see this week in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good habits. It's true, isn't it? Now we know that we have people we work alongside of and people that live next to us and people that are in our families that are unbelievers and we talk with them and understand we have to be around them. But you know what? Don't keep company. That is, don't be having this this fellowship where you're hanging out and they are corrupting you. You make sure that you're being a good influence and witness to them and you stand strong for the Lord. But bad company corrupts good habits. We need to understand it does matter who it is that we're hanging out with. And we need to teach this to our kids. And parents, you need to talk to your kids about that, about making good choices and the friends that they make and who they're hanging out with and the activities that they're involved in. Because it does make a difference. And it will affect them. And to really be praying for them and discussing those things with them. I, I pray that you do. So these are the things that we learn from the life of Samson. Hard lessons. But as Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you remember? That these are written for us for our examples. They say you can learn from mistakes. It doesn't have to be from our own mistakes. But we can learn from Samson not what to do. To get involved and play around with sin. I pray tonight as we're going to come and we're going to sing a couple more songs and we're just going to worship for a few more minutes as Jim comes up.